Hello, my name is Luke and I am thrilled to be landing our 24-part Mark series today. Uh, today we are in week 24, as I said, and we're gonna be answering the most foundational question. That's it, the most foundational question, I think, to all of life. Oh, I wonder, stop for a second and think. What is that question that uh, determines how you live? What is that question that's the most foundational one that you, you would ask yourself when it comes to making decisions for your life? I think for many in our day, we'd ask the question, am I happy? Does this make me happy? For others, uh, you might say, am I good? Am I good? When you put your head on your pillow at night to think to yourself, have I been good? Have I been better than most other people and not worse than the majority? You know, you want to locate yourself somewhere above, slightly above average, right? Or this question, a very popular one that we live from today, am I being true to myself? Am I, am I being true to who I am? Uh, Christianity's foundation, though, asks a very, very different question. And we'll get there in a second. Before, let me point us uh, uh, one week ahead. Next week, I am thrilled to be, to be announcing to us that Rigby is gonna be preaching next week. Rigby's not preaching as part of a series. He's preaching as Rigby, as Rigby, our fearless leader, as Rigby, our founding father, as Rigby bringing a, a really a weighty fatherly word to this moment. And so I'm really excited to hear him preach. Look forward to it next week. Let's jump back into today's message. Today, week 24, Mark chapter eight, if you wanna make your way there in your Bible. This is such a pivotal point in Mark's gospel. 24 weeks to get to here. And then this week, this message, this text is the linchpin of Mark's whole gospel. In fact, the whole book pivots on this moment. Three years in Jesus' life to get to this point then something really significant happens today and then the rest of the book is just eight days. This is a pivotal moment. Everything that has happened in the 24 weeks in the eight and a half chapters that has brought us to this point has been to bring us to the place of discovery that we are in together. We're gonna to be reading two short stories and these two small stories work together to make one profound point. What's that point? It's that Jesus opens our eyes to see him as the one, capital O, that he truly is. Jesus opens our eyes. We need Jesus to open our eyes to see him as the one, capital O, that he truly is. Are you ready? A bit of context first. So where are we in the story? Uh, well, as I said, we're in eight out of, uh, so here's eight out of 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And so far in the story, no one, no single human being has identified Jesus as the Messiah. It's true, everyone has an opinion of him, uh, strong opinions for that matter. The religious leaders, well, many of them believe that Jesus is evil and they see him as a threat to, to their power. Herod also sees him as a bit of a threat and at times a provoke even to his conscience. Many in the crowds think of Jesus as a rabbi, some even as a kind of turbo rabbi, a little bit more rabbi-like rabbi than all the rest, right? His family think he's a lunatic, 
Although, I will say, a little spoiler alert, they come round a little later in the story. But bottom line is, so far, no human being has recognized Jesus for who he is. In the Gospel of Mark, only Mark himself identifies Jesus as who he is. In chapter one and verse one, Mark tells us. And then God the Father identifies who Jesus is at Jesus' baptism, remember? And then uh, lastly, it's the demons of all people who recognize and see Jesus for who he is. In chapter one, chapter three, and chapter five, they can see who Jesus is. They call him the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God, they call him. What Mark is doing is Mark has been for eight and a half weeks building to this point where he takes these two stories and almost funnels these 24 weeks we've journeyed into these two stories to make one profound point. Let's read together from chapter eight and verse 22 to verse 30. Let's read. And they, this is Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida. And uh, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So they arrive at this fishing village in the north of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is accosted by a group of people. We don't know if these are this man's friends here. It doesn't say that. If it's just a random group of people pulling this blind man along so that they can maybe see something amazing. We're not too sure in this text. And, and and now we see Jesus, Jesus meets them. The group has led the man. Now Jesus takes over. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? A bit of an unorthodox move, spitting and rubbing spit in his eyes. It's not really COVID friendly, but it wasn't unprecedented in Jesus' day. And he looked up and he said, I see people but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others, well, they say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, would you come and speak to us today? As you open the disciples' eyes, as you open that man's eyes, will you open our eyes today to see more clearly who Jesus really is? We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Okay, our big idea, Jesus opens our eyes to see him as the one he truly is. A faith in Christ is a journey that leads us to a moment and then a moment that leads us on another journey. It's a journey of discovery to discover in the moment who Jesus is. But it's in that moment that another journey is kickstarted as we discover who Jesus really is and what Jesus has come to do in our world. For the disciples, they've been on a journey with him for three years now, all the while building up and leading to this moment of discovery. This is the moment where they see Jesus clearly for who he is. This is the moment where they, in a sense, realize he's the Messiah. Their faith comes to them and they see clearly. All the while, 
Jesus has been progressively showing them more and more and more and more to bring them to this moment of discovery. And it's exactly the same thing that Mark has been doing. Since chapter one and verse one, Mark has been building, uh, building, 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 showing us more, showing us more, showing, pulling back the curtain, if you will, to reveal more and more and more of Jesus to bring us to this place where he asks us today this most foundational question. Who do you say Jesus is? Eight chapters to bring us to this point. And in this moment, the disciples realize Jesus is the Son of God, come as our Savior King. And it's in this moment that we see as the book of Mark continues that they then begin the next journey of discovering, of coming to see what it is that Jesus came to do. Let's go back and let's jump into our first story today. A blind man is brought to Jesus by a group of people. And so Jesus, he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees that are walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on him again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. The first thing we see today is that Jesus progressively opens our eyes to see him. This is the only miracle in all of the gospels that happens in stages, right? The only miracle that happens in stages. In fact, Matthew and Luke leave this miracle out altogether. It's almost as if they were afraid because it made Jesus look bad. It made Jesus look as if he'd lost his mojo. I mean, why didn't it work the first time? Why did it need a second touch? And the answer, of course, is not that Jesus is losing his mojo. The answer is that, that Jesus is, is including this as a teaching point for the disciples. And Mark includes this miracle here because he's telling us something about the disciples' sight. In fact, the whole narrative we've just read centers around sight and seeing. He says to the man, did you see anything? In verse 17, just five verses before, he says to the disciples, do you not see in verse 21, he says, do you still not perceive? Do you still not understand? Everything in this narrative is around seeing. In fact, between verse 23 and verse 25, Mark uses eight different Greek words represented in nine English words, to, to, um, to, which mean to see or sight. It's all about seeing. And at first, the man sees in a fuzzy, kind of unclear way. There's some shape, but, but there's no clarity. And then Jesus touches him a second time. And in that moment, his eyes are opened. And suddenly he can see and perceive the world clearly. The man is healed from this touch from Jesus. And his sight is restored. I mean, just imagine what it was like for this man walking home. I was wondering as I was preparing this, did he run with excitement to see his family and to show them what Christ had done? Or did he... Did he amble as he got distracted the whole way home for the first time seeing things that he'd only heard about and now was able to see? I don't know. But Jesus touched him and suddenly he could see. What about the disciples? You see, I believe this passage is a miracle, a parable, if you will, for them. Uh, this is about the disciples progressively getting their sight. And it's this progressive sight that Mark is drawing our attention to. Uh, they are like a man who's been half healed. They can sort of see who Jesus is, but not clearly. They, they've grasped something of his greatness. They've grasped something of his power. They've grasped something of his authority and his teaching, etc. But they haven't yet 
they've fully been able to see who Jesus really is. They need a merciful, patient, second touch from Jesus. And Jesus is about to open their eyes so that they can really understand. I mean, to their credit though, they've been pressing in. They've been pushing in. They've followed Jesus around. They're asking questions. They're leaning in. But their own efforts have only got them so far. They've got them close, but now they need Jesus to open their eyes. It's the same for us. We, we must put an effort. We must pursue Christ. But at the same time, we need Jesus to disclose himself to us so that we can see him for who he really is. And so Jesus takes them on a walk. And we read together from verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. About 40 kilometers, they walked together, chatting. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Off they go to Caesarea Philippi. It's a beautiful place, I must tell you. I had the privilege of being there just over a year ago. We sat under the trees at the river, wondering if this was the same place that Jesus had this, this conversation with his disciples as we read Matthew's account, uh, the longer version of the same event. It's an interesting place, I'll tell you that. Of all the places that this uh, revelation could have come to the disciples, this is a remarkable place. It's a non-Jewish region. In fact, it's a pagan area, a, a place of pagan worship, uh, centering around the, the pagan god Pan, who's like a half man, half goat, who's said to be the god of the flocks. He's said to terrify shepherds as he runs through the fields at night, from which we get the English word panic. This is the pagan worship place for the god Pan. It's this great big cave at the source of a river where Pan is worshipped. And this cave is known as the Gates of Hades. Go back and read Matthew's account and see if it takes on a new meaning, having understood that. And it's in this dark corner of the world that Jesus chooses for the first time to reveal the light of who he is. And he leaves the disciples by asking them two questions. First he says, who do people say that I am? And they answer, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had recently been executed and uh, people believed, some people believed that uh, his spirit had kind of been reincarnated into Jesus Others said Elijah. This is an interesting one. Elijah, interesting because he was one of the few prophets who was able to do miracles. But also Elijah, when he died or didn't die, was kind of swept up into heaven. And many of the followers of God were waiting for him to return and to finish kind of what he started. Still others say, one of the prophets. And all of these sound like a compliment, but actually they're quite the opposite. What's, what's more interesting here is what's not being said about Jesus and what that communicates than what is being said. I think the modern version is that Jesus was a great man. He was an amazing teacher. But what's not being said says more about what people believe than what is. Uh, think, for example, if, if I was to say to you, who's Elon Musk? And you were to say, oh, he's a man who was born in Gauteng. Whilst you be true, what you're not saying about him says more about what you believe than what you do say. Imagine you were to say to me, Luke, who's your wife? And I was to answer to you, of all the women I know, she is one of them. Now, this is true. Uh, but what I'm not saying discloses more about what I believe than what I do. Imagine I was to say, she's a woman I deeply respect. 
or of, she's the last of a long line of women that I've loved. I mean, you can imagine what's not happening in my home tonight, right? Uh, What I'm not saying of my wife says more about what I believe than what I am saying. It's no compliment at all, right? And that's exactly what's going on here with other people's opinion of Jesus. And so Jesus now takes the disciples further down this journey of discovery in verse 29, and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? This most foundational question in all of life. And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged him to tell no one about him. Our big idea today is Jesus opens our eyes to see him as the one he truly is. It's this revelation. This is the the revelation moment. It's the moment when God touches Peter, when God opens Peter's eyes to see Christ as he truly is. Peter's had a long time and all the disciples have had a long time. They've been collecting data. They've been observing. They've been tracking with Jesus. But now it's time to make a call. Now it's time to make a decision, to take a risk. And Peter says on behalf of all the disciples, you're the one, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. Christ, by the way, is not Jesus' surname. It wasn't uh, Joseph and Mary Christ. No, no, Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one sent from God to save us. This promised king who would be greater than King David, who would usher in and begin the dawn of a new era for God's people. And Peter says, it's you. You're the one. And he's the first human to recognize who Jesus is. It's taken three years. From Mark's perspective in telling the story, it's taken eight and a half chapters to bring us to this point where finally someone sees who Jesus really is. And Mark has been building this book to this place to bring us to this moment of revelation that we can see Jesus for ourselves as who he really is as well. Mark, by the way, is not one of the disciples. Mark, in all likelihood, is Peter's translator, Peter's assistant, the one who recorded Peter's testimony. And it's these eight and a half chapters that Mark has been building to bring us to this place where we can discover along with Peter what he's just discovered. He's been building a case. In chapter one and verse one, Mark began with his thesis statement that Jesus is the son of God who has come as our savior king. We read this in chapter one, verse one. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It began. And then what he's been doing from that moment, he's been showing us, can you see how this is true? Can't you see? He's the son of God come as our savior king. With each additional story, with each additional telling, he's trying to prove to us in order to bring us to this moment that Peter and the disciples are at in realizing Jesus is the one. And that's the journey that we've been on this year in the book of Mark. In chapter one, verse one to eight, Mark says, don't don't, don't you remember? In the Old Testament, it was promised that before the Messiah would come, before the Christ would come, there would be a messenger who would prepare the way for him. He says, can you see? It's John the Baptist. And then in 1, uh, 9 to 13, Jesus is baptized and God the Father speaks authoritatively and he says, this is my son of whom uh, I am well pleased. The affirmation of God. Can't you see? He's the one. Uh, in 1, 14 to 20, he calls the disciples. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, and he has the approval and the affirmation of people too. He taught in the synagogue 
synagogue. And when he taught in the synagogue, the people said of him, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught with one, as one with authority. They brought before him people terrorized by demons and he cast them out and they said, even the evil spirits obey his order. Power, power to deliver, power to teach. Can't you see? He's the one. In 35 to 45, a man with leprosy is brought before Jesus and Jesus has authority and Jesus has power to cleanse him and to heal him. And something as Jesus touches him, something of the man's uncleanness comes to Jesus and something of Jesus' cleanness comes to the man. They brought before him a man with broken limbs and Jesus has power to heal his body, but he didn't stop there as he reached down into his soul and he forgave him of his sins. Mark is saying, can't you see? He's the one our Savior King, the Son of God. He hung out eating with tax collectors, eating with sinners, because he said, I've come into the world to heal the broken and the needy, a kingly compassion not seen by any human king. He broke the religious rules to restore the hand and the life of a crippled man, showing compassion for the broken. He took ordinary men and he turned them into messengers who would change the shape of history. Can't you see Mark is saying he's the one. He began a family of followers, a community, but not just a community of people who loved each other inwardly, a community of people who lived with a heavenly ethic in the world. Uh, he, he taught about the kingdom of God in ways that ordinary people were invited in to understand and to participate, a kingdom teaching never before seen. He had such peace that he could sleep in the middle of the storm and yet could wake up and still it. Such kingly power and authority, even over creation and nature. He delivered a man who had been overcome by the power of darkness, and he sent him out as a messenger of the light. Even authority over evil and demons. Mark is saying, can't you see? He's the son of God, come as our savior king. Even instinctually, as they reached out and they touched him, he was moved by compassion and faith and healed those who were broken, giving them back their lives and even their dignity, kingly compassion to heal and restore. He was rejected in his hometown by those who were too familiar with him and rejected by those who were too proud. In contrast to the evil king, Jesus supernaturally fed in abundance those who were his people and followed him, a king who provides for his people. When his followers were in danger, in danger, he went out and he met them in the middle of the crisis. And then from there within with them, he stilled the storm. In a world fixated with skin deep religion, he diagnosed the true heart of the problem. That evil is not just something that can be washed away from the surface of our skin, but the problem of evil runs deep into every human heart. And we would need someone from outside of ourselves to cleanse us. With kingly authority, he broke the rules to heal the child of an outsider. And in that moment, opened the door so that the kingdom of God could come not only to, to God's people, but to all people, making all people God's people. And to all of that, Mark says, can you not see he's the son of God come as our savior king? After all of this, he says to the disciples, can you still not see in verse 17 and 21? And today they see as he opens their eyes in patience and in mercy, he touches their eyes again. 
and they see him. It's you. All that time, it was you, the Savior King of the world. Your authority to heal, your power to teach, your, your, your loving, compassionate touch, the way you overcame, it, it, it was you all along. Interestingly, Jesus never himself self-discloses, but he asks questions, and it's a touch from God that opens their eyes to see Jesus. Actually, what we see in the book of Mark is for these guys, And for you, if that's your moment of faith, their journey of discovery is freshly beginning again. Peter gets the title right, but he's got such a wrong understanding of what it really meant. It's like they've just now arrived at base camp and now they're beginning to this great summit of discovery of who Jesus is and the mission that he came to fulfill in the world. It's not that Jesus has come to defeat the Romans, but Jesus has come to down a cross in order to bring forgiveness and reconciliation to all all people, and they've still got to discover this. Isn't this the most amazing book? In eight chapters, Mark has built a case, and he says to you, and he says to me today, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? This most foundational question, who do you say that I am? Jesus asks us today. Is Jesus one of just many lights that you use to see in your life? Or is he the light by which you see everything else, the light by which you live, the way by which you perceive everything else. Is Jesus the one? Is he the center of your life? This is what Mark is advocating for for us today. Can you see who Jesus is? Think for a second. The one, the son of God, come as our savior king. How do you know? How do you know if you perceive him? And the question is, can you really trust him? Can you really trust him? That's what the disciples were gonna learn in the coming chapters of the book of Mark. The disciples were gonna learn that they could really trust Jesus. Can you really follow him? Do do you really believe that Jesus has got you covered? That you can obey him? that obeying him becomes the great call and pursuit of your life. Today, tomorrow, 2020, 2021, whatever it may bring, obeying Christ and following him becomes the great pursuit of your life. Do you recognize today that Christ came to be your savior king, to die on a cross for you in order that you could have new life with God and be swept up in this great grand adventure of restoring the whole world? Will you join him on living in this gospel mission today? Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord, for this incredible journey through the book of Mark. Thank you, Jesus, that you step by step reveal yourself to us. I wanna pray, Lord Jesus, for a few groups of people today. I pray for those of you who today is that moment. Today, so far, it's been a journey of discovery. You've been evaluating, you've been observing like the disciples, but today is the moment where you take the risk. You say, Jesus, open my eyes. Will you be my Savior King? If that's you, I wanna pray this prayer with you. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, will you be my Savior King? I believe that you have kingly authority in all the world, or over evil, over good, kingly authority to know what is right. 
to know what is wrong, kingly authority to even decide those things. Jesus, today I give you kingly authority over my life. I wanna be your follower. I wanna pray for some of us today who need to freshly trust Jesus is enough. That was what part of the disciples' journey was from this place, but it was learning to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus. This revelation comes in the back of them seeing Jesus heal, uh, feed again 4,000 people. And Jesus says to them, do you still not see? There's a case for us trusting Jesus that he can provide for us even in 2020, even in 2021. Has Jesus got you covered? Let's pray if that's you. Jesus, freshly, I put my trust in you. You, Christ, you are the Christ. You are the one, the sovereign king of the world. You are sufficient. You are enough. And Jesus, you are enough for me. I believe you've got me, Lord. I believe I can trust you. Come what may, I trust you with my life, Christ. Amen.